This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Nineteen years ago, uh, at the church where I serve, 121, uh, we were in exactly the same position that you're in uh, today. Uh, a few weeks in, uh, we had started the church, and uh, 19 years later, uh, God is still being incredibly kind and gracious uh, to us. I'm married to a beautiful woman named Lisa. Uh, she is uh, just an absolute uh, joy, uh, has an incredible devotion to the Lord, and uh, incredibly faithful to him. We've been married for 31 years uh, and they have two sons uh, that were similar to the ages of Corey's kids and Mike and uh, Joel's kids when we started the church. They're 23 and 26 now. Uh, and uh, the thing that I just love the most is that they are flourishing in their walk with the Lord. Uh, and in the culture in which we live, uh, I would just say to anyone in the room, uh, that if you're standing firm and true in following Jesus, uh, it is just incredibly challenging uh, in the day in which we live in a culture that doesn't favor uh, those who are following Christ. And so I just commend you and want to encourage you uh, to stand firm and stand strong, to not waver uh, or to shrink back, but to keep your eyes firmly uh, on Jesus. For those who are exploring, we love uh, that you're here uh, and trying to figure it out. And, and I hope you'll continue to invite people in to try and figure out. This is an incredibly safe place uh, to understand the things uh, of Jesus. Well, about a year and a half ago, a uh, family came into our church, and uh, they're from Guatemala. They've grown up, uh, their parents had grown up in Guatemala, and when they were adults, they made their way uh, to the U.S., and, uh, and they've been here about 15 years. And Oscar and Sandra uh, are the parents uh, and just it, when, I, when they came in the door, there was something about them that just kind of grabbed my heart uh, and just seeing a humility in them. Uh, and then they had their three sons uh, with them, uh, 20, 22, and 24 uh, at the time, uh, really healthy uh, young men uh, coming in behind their mom and dad. Uh, and I was just taken aback by a family uh, walking in with three 20-something-year-old sons uh, as a part of the family. Uh, and they came, and they came for several weeks, and, uh, and I asked them if they'd like to do lunch together. Uh, and we, we did. Uh, we went to a place called Cafe Italia, uh, and we sat in that restaurant, uh, the five of them and me, uh, and we just had a great conversation about their background. And, and Oscar is a, a handyman. He just does whatever it takes uh, to work. Uh, and then each of the boys talked about their stories, and, and Sandra, the mom, talked about hers. And uh, and as I listened to them, uh, four of them, Oscar and Sandra, and the two older sons, talked about their relationship with Jesus. And, and Isaac, the younger one, 20 years old, was silent uh, most of the time. Uh, and finally, Isaac spoke, and, and what Isaac said is that he's an atheist. So in this family of five who had grown up in their uncle's church uh, in Irving, Texas, uh, the one 20-year-old, Isaac, uh, had declared himself an atheist when he was growing up. And I asked him, he already, and as, a, as an elementary-age child, uh, looked in the church he was in, and he felt like there was a lot of hypocrisy. 
He looked at people and he just doesn't match up. What I'm hearing talked about from the Bible, what I'm hearing talked about God, it doesn't match. Uh, and there's a bunch of hypocrites. And he said, I'm not interested. And he pursued science as a way to uh, find some kind of authority in his life, some kind of way to make sense out of life. Uh, he looked at the different cultural waves and, and considered those along the way. Uh, and a year and a half ago, Isaac was watching uh, debates between Richard Dawkins, an atheist, uh, a Jewish person, and a Christian person. Uh, and he was trying to explore and figure out uh, his atheism uh, and then how that compared to Christianity and to Judaism. Later, Isaac would start looking in God's Word to see what God would say uh, in terms of what life is about and where life is found. If you have a Bible, would you turn in it to 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, and we'll be in verses 10 through 17. It's at the very back of your Bible, uh, if, you don't, uh, if you're not quite sure where it is, so there'll be very little left uh, in your Bible when you get to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, and we'll look in the first few verses, uh, and I'd like for us to think about uh, another uh, encounter between uh, Paul, who is uh, the one who wrote this letter, to Timothy, a young man uh, in his faith. He actually is a follower of Jesus at this point. And 2 Timothy would be the last letter uh, that is written uh, of our Bible. So when we think about uh, the Bible, 2 Timothy is Paul's last letter. Uh, and when he writes it, uh, I think one way to think about this is he just writing and leaving a legacy uh, for this person who was following him. Uh, and, and he leaves that. And part of what he leaves with him is saying that God's Word is powerful. God's Word is authority. And so I just want us to think about that idea of the power of God's Word. Uh, and the impact that that has uh, when we understand and walk inside that power. Uh, I want to set context in verses 10 through 13. I'm not going to read those verses, uh, but Paul says to Timothy, he said, you've, you've been following me. You've been following my teaching. You've followed my conduct. You've followed the way that I've been uh, in my character and the way that I follow after Jesus. You've, you've followed me. And, and you've been with me in the midst of persecution. Uh, and, and he says in verse 12, indeed, all those who are godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He just tells Timothy up front as a young man, if you're going to follow after Jesus, you will be persecuted. You will be. And, and we see that increasingly in our own culture today, that those who are following Jesus, that persecution is happening. But he says, you, you have been faithful to follow uh, and to follow my conduct. And, and really just see the power of a, a person uh, who is following after Jesus. And, and when we think about Paul and Timothy, Paul was a mentor to Timothy. Uh, he was someone that poured all of his life into Timothy's life. And I just want to tell you at Austin Life that you have uh, a gift uh, in Corey and Stephanie uh, they, they are ones that you can follow their path and follow their teaching and follow their conduct, and you will be following Jesus. I'm not saying they're perfect, 
I'm simply saying they're following the path of Jesus. And you have someone that you can follow. Mike and Joel, you can follow their lead, and you'll be following after Jesus when you follow their lead. It's a gift that you have uh, in, this, uh, in this church and in this gathering of people. Uh, and so there's that power of someone that is already following that we can get in behind and, and learn from. This is what can happen, by the way, in the discipleship group opportunities that you have here. That when you get inside those discipleship groups, it's an opportunity to have someone as a mentor, someone that can help you learn and to follow them and to follow their teaching and their conduct in the Lord. But I want us to focus on the power of God's Word. Uh, and in ber- beginning in verse 14, as we continue this passage, you, however, continue in the things you've learned and become convinced of. You don't like the popping? Is that distracting? the power of a microphone. So it says in verse 14, you, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you've learned them. Uh, and again, he's referring to, uh, uh, Paul's referring to himself, said, you've learned these things from me, uh, and not only from him, but also we learn at the beginning of uh, the letters to Timothy that uh, his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice were also instrumental uh, in uh, his learning of the scriptures. Uh, and, and in verse uh, 15, it says that from childhood, you've known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And this is where I really want us to anchor is in verses 15, 16, and 17. From childhood, you've known the sacred writings. Uh, The sacred writings are the writings of the Old Testament, the law, the first five books of the Bible. Uh, And in the sacred writings, so that that Timothy's learned them, he's learned those writings, and the parents have been responsible as Jewish parents to do what they were taught to do. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. When you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The parents were instructed to teach their children the sacred writings and to have it everywhere. On the doorposts, talk about it all through the day as they're moving through the day. That God's word, it's powerful and it's to be everywhere and instructed and taught to them. And, in the, and Timothy was instructed in that from childhood. And these scriptures, uh, these sacred writings, they're able to give you the wisdom. They're able to give you what you need to know so that you can have salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And the whole Bible from beginning to end, from Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, to Revelation, the very last book of the Bible, and and every book in between is around a common theme of salvation that points to Jesus. And, And Timothy was aware of these sacred writings. I prayed for Isaac for 
the last year, year and a half, ever since I met him, and, and he said that he was an atheist. He's been coming to our church every week. And a few weeks ago, I noticed he was actually handing out the information guides when people would walk in. And I thought, how cool. We have an atheist in our church handing out the information guides as people come in. And I just started praying more for him. And I asked him, I said, hey, Isaac, I just remember about a year, year and a half ago, you said that you were an atheist and you had questions, you were struggling about your faith. Would you be game uh, to get together and let's talk about those questions? And he said, yeah, I'll do that. I said, well, let's do lunch together. And, uh, and we did lunch and we went back to Cafe Italia where we had been just about a year and a half before. And, and Isaac, on that day, he brought a journal with him and a Bible. And I could tell that his Bible had barely been used. It was, it was new. And really, the pages were still kind of stuck together in it. And I just love that he came to lunch in a public place at Cafe Italia, this person saying he's an atheist, and he brought his Bible and his journal. And in his journal, he had questions written for me. And then he had space after each question so that he could write the answers to the questions. And, and what we ended up talking about mostly was the salvation which is found in Jesus Christ. And I asked him if I could write in his journal. Uh, and he handed me his journal. And, and in that journal, I started writing. And, and I drew what uh, many of you may have seen, you may not, uh, but a, a bridge to just kind of describe how a person is far away from God and, and, and how they can come into that relationship with God. And then I started writing scripture down in his journal, just one by one, explaining from the scriptures salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And as I was writing, I would, first, at first I told him, I said, hey, let's do this. I want you to be able to find these verses. And so we went into the table of contents at the very front of the Bible. And I said, Psalm 1611, let's look for that verse. And I showed him where Psalms was, and it was on page, I don't know what, but he found it. And then, and this is what a chapter looks like, and we went to chapter 16, and then this is the verses, and we went to verse 11, and we read the verse together. And Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life, in your presence is fullness of joy, in your right hand there are pleasures forever. See, God designed us for pleasure. And then we talked about uh, Jeremiah 6, 16, and I wrote that down, and, and he had his Bible in his hand now, and I said, why don't you look that up? And he would go to the table of contents. He looked up Jeremiah. He found chapter 6, verse 16. It says, thus says the Lord, stand by the ways and see and, and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it. But you know what they said? They said, we'll not walk in it. And the reason for that, I said, is Romans 3.23. And, and he looked up Romans in chapter 3, verse 23, and then he found it, and I had him read it to me. And it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then we talked about where there's actually hope and where life is found. And, and we went to John chapter 10, verse 10. It says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that they might have life and might have it abundantly. You might hear that chapter and verse every once in a while at Austin Life Church. 
And that abundant life is found in Jesus. And that in Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrated his own love toward us. Well, we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. It's stunning that while we are a mess, a wreck in our sin, that, that Jesus would die for us. And then we, I wrote down Acts 3, 19 and said the way we respond to this good news is therefore repent and return. And your sins will be wiped away and times of refreshing may come in the presence of the Lord. And I said, and when you do this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. And I said, is this something you'd like to do? You give your life to Christ like this? And he got really nervous. I mean, he started just rubbing his leg. And, and we just kind of went through a few things, talking a little more. And I said, I tell you what. I said, why don't we go ahead and leave? And you look up these verses because you can do that now. And then I'll check back with you later and see how it's going. He said, okay. That was a relief to him. But I just showed him from the sacred writings of Scripture how salvation is found in Jesus Christ. It's through faith in him, through faith in Jesus Christ. And, and it's this kind of, uh, of salvation that we find in the scriptures. So from childhood, Timothy knew this. With Isaac, he wanted to read the Bible. He said, I've, I've always tried. I, it just never makes any sense to me. And I just always give up. I said, okay, why don't we read Luke? Read one chapter a day of Luke and just ask God to show you anything of understanding about him. And so he set out on a plan uh, to read Luke. Now, that's what, self, that's what scriptures do. Is God's word is powerful. It shows us where salvation is really found. In verse 16, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Verse 17, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Let's go back to verse 16. All scripture, all scripture is inspired by God. Now, when we talk about God's word and the, the power of God's word, we can locate it right here. All scripture, so all, not some of the scripture, not a little bit, not most of it, but all scripture, all the writings of God are inspired by God. The word inspired is not like you're sitting out at... Uh, is it Zilker Park? That you're sitting out at Zilker Park and you just kind of get inspiration and all of a sudden you can go and go knock that paper out that you have due tomorrow. It's not that kind of inspiration. It is a word that means God breathed. All scriptures God breathed. Meaning that the origin of God's word, the very nature of the scripture, is that God breathed it out. Every word that is in the scripture in our Bibles is God's words. And, and we know for sure that when this was written that the Old Testament's included. But we also get some hints from 2 Peter chapter 3 verses 15 and 16. Peter is talking about Paul's letters. And he refers to them as scriptures. And then in 1 Timothy 5.18, Paul quotes... The Old Testament and something that we have in the New Testament, meaning he's already thinking of the New Testament writings as Scripture. So all Scripture is inspired by God. It's inspired by Him. It is God-breathed. And the Scripture is absolutely 
amazing and stunning uh, in that it is God's Word, and it carries with it, as I mentioned briefly a minute ago, from Genesis to Revelation, uh, all 66 books, there is one common thread that runs through uh, the whole of Scripture, and that is the thread of salvation, uh, and it's written by over 40 different authors with multiple backgrounds and personalities over a 1,500-year period, and yet it maintains this continuity throughout. It is a, a beautiful, grand narrative of the redemptive plan of God. It is God glorifying in its flow, and every part of it points to Jesus. The Old Testament foreshadows and looks toward the coming of Christ. The Gospels talk about the birth, life, death, resurrection, appearing and ascension, and subsequent Jesus' prediction of his return in the Gospels. The book of Acts is the beginning of the early church and the advancement of the Gospel. And then Paul's letters instruct us primarily about who we are in Jesus, and thus how to live for him. God's word is powerful. It is authoritative. It's powerful. It's reliable. It's trustworthy. It's sufficient. It has everything we need. Everything we need. And when I say it's authority, that means that our tradition is not our authority. Our personal experience is not our authority. Our emotions are not our authority. And the cultural, always shifting winds of something new is not our authority. God, as he's made himself known in his word, is our authority. And everything else gets interpreted underneath the power of God's Word. It flows out of God's Word first. That's the commitment of this church, that God's Word is authority. God's Word is the power, the way He's made Himself known in His Word. And when we think about God's Word, the psalmist in chapter 19 describes it and what it does. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They're more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey in the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there's great reward. There's goodness in God's word. There's survival, he says, when we keep God's word. Oh, who can hide his errors? Who can be acquitted from his faults? Also, he says, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me, then I'll be blameless and I'll, I'll be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. 
This is a beautiful descriptor of, of God's word. And the power of God's word is described in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 23. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer which shatters a rock. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 4, verse 12 says that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow. And, and it's able to both judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Oh, God's word is powerful, and, and multiple writers describe the power of it. Uh, it's inspired by God, and it's profitable for teaching. It's beneficial. It's, it's life-giving, God's word is. Uh, there, the grace and love of God pours through his word. And in John chapter 6, verse 63, Jesus said, The words that I have spoken are spirit and life. The words of Jesus are spirit and life their breath and life, the power of God's word coming from Jesus himself. What is it profitable for? It's profitable for teaching, for teaching. The, the core doctrines of scripture uh, we find, that, that we're, we're taught those. For example, in Romans chapter five, verses one through five, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have our obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations. For we know that our tribulations bring about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Oh, that's just one teaching among many in the Scriptures. It's, the Scriptures are God-breathed, powerful, profitable, life-giving when we're taught those kinds of things about who Jesus is. And this is the part that's not so comfortable for reproof, for, for being uh, shown what our flaws are, what our sins are, what our failures are. In Galatians chapter 2, uh, Paul is writing this letter. Uh, and Peter, who's one of the pillars of the church, he confronts him. And Peter uh, had been, as you talk about at Austin Life, everybody has a seat at the table. But Peter was living like that for a while. And then... Paul accuses him of being a hypocrite because Peter gets fearful of a certain group of Jewish people and he no longer will sit at the, sit at the table with non-Jews. And Paul calls him out. Barnabas, who's an encourager, had fallen into the same trap. Bad company corrupts good morals. But Paul, Paul rebukes him reproves him, says, hey, you can't do this. Calls him out as a hypocrite. So the scripture, in the scripture, we are reproved, we're rebuked, we're called out when we sin, and it's profitable for correction. We're corrected by him, which means we're set straight. So we're not just told when we do something wrong that needs to be corrected, but rather we're also corrected and we're set right. 
In Proverbs 15.1, it says a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a, a harsh word stirs up anger. Uh, and I think it's a, a great correction for us to think any time that anger or harshness is helpful, it, it only stirs the other person to more anger or more harshness. Rather, a gentle answer is the way to respond. So we're corrective. So not, not this way, do it this way. And then finally, it says training in righteousness. The scriptures where we're trained uh, to be the followers of Jesus that God has designed us to be. And we often need to remind ourselves of what that is. Everything we need in scripture, we have to be trained in righteousness. And everything points us to Jesus. I started looking a while back just as a, a way to to be able to anchor in to Jesus as my motivation for everything, I just started looking for verses that were life kind of verses that, that tied directly to what Christ did in his death and resurrection, his life. And I found verses like this. Colossians chapter 1, 13 and 14. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have forgiveness of our sins. The, the reason we forgive is because we've been forgiven and rescued by Jesus. Or 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, uh, it's the love of Christ that controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. No longer living for ourselves, but for him, the one who died and rose for us. Radical generosity, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. The reason we give generously of both our, of, of our time, our talent, our resources, all of it, is rooted in the grace of Jesus, who was rich and yet became poor, so that we might become rich. We love, in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as beloved children, as those who uh, have been uh, redeemed by Christ, those who, uh, who died for you. Uh, and I completely blew that verse. If you have Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, you feel free to look it up. Uh, and I'll, I'll try and come back in a minute if I remember it. Uh, but, but we find our love anchored in that verse. We find in Philippians 2, to have the same attitude of Jesus Christ. And that's how we walk in humility. Philippians 2. And in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, we find the place to get rid of our shame. And we find where we walk with endurance. And we find where joy is. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How do we run that race with endurance? By fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and now he's sat at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. 
We go right to Jesus so that we can sustain and not grow weary. We get rid of our shame. We find our joy all in Jesus. And, and those are ways that we're trained in righteousness and that we become like Apollos in Acts chapter 18, who's described as being mighty in the scripture. He was able to accurately explain Jesus. He was fervent in the things that he did and said. But even Apollos needed mentors. Priscilla and Aquila came alongside. They heard Apollos and they said, hey, we're going to pull you aside and we're going to show you some things. And now Apollos could even more accurately teach the things of Jesus. It's what Jesus did in Luke 24 when he explained from the scriptures who he was. And when he explained from the scriptures who he was, the two disciples on that road to Emmaus said their hearts were burning within them from the scripture. God's word is strong and it's powerful. How could we be mighty uh, like Apollos? There are five ways that we uh, absorb God's word. Uh, we hear it just like you're hearing it right now or you hear it when Corey's preaching or you hear it in a community group. We read it. You read it in your community groups, you hear it and read it there, and you talk about it. Uh, those are places, a lot of you listen to podcasts of different people that are teaching uh, God's Word, and, and you hear and you hear it that way. There's reading plans where a lot of people don't like to read a whole lot, they'd rather hear. And, and there's reading plans on the U version of the Bible where you can either read or listen to it. So we get God's Word in us, the power of it, as we hear it and as we read it. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it's exactly what they did. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Every time you gather to hear or read God's Word, you're devoting yourself to the teaching uh, of God's Word. We hear it, we read it, and we memorize it. In Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11, verse 11, because I just blanked on 9 and 10, I'm on a roll. Your word I've treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure by keeping it according to your word? And he tried to do that with all his heart, and he didn't want to wander, so he said, your word I've treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. What we treasure shapes the way we think, the way we feel, what we do, and what our motivations are. When we treasure God's word, then what we'll treasure is the way God thinks, the way God feels, the way God acts, and we'll be motivated by Christ in us and the love of Christ. We hear it, we read it, we memorize it, and we meditate on it. Not the meditation that we do in yoga, not the meditation where we empty our minds, but a meditation where we fill our minds with the things of God, with the Word of God. Someone has said, and I loved how they said it, it's very difficult for us to meditate on God's Word unless we've memorized God's Word. When we memorize God's Word, then we can chew on it. Then it rolls through us. In Psalm 1, verses 2 and 3, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. 
His delight is in the Lord. He meditates on it when? Day and night. All scriptures inspired by God, and we meditate on the word of God, and then we study it. We hear it. We read it. We memorize it. We meditate on it. We study it. In Ezra, in the Old Testament, chapter 7, verse 10, for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his ordinances and statutes to Israel. He studied it, then he practiced it, then he taught it. Study, practice, teach. Acts chapter 17, verse 11. The Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians. They were eagerly accepting God's word, examining these things to see whether they were so. Studying, examining God's word daily to see if these things were so. I would encourage you to never take what Corey says from God's word and not go check it and study it yourself. Now, I absolutely trust what he's going to tell you. But... The Bereans, they were taking what was being taught them by Paul, and then they were examining it themselves to see whether these things were so that were being said by the one who was teaching. We want you to take what we say and go to the Scripture yourself and dig in and study and learn to do so. And we nourish ourselves in the Word like this. These are the ways we can be mighty in the Scripture. And and we can be just like the ones in Luke 19, 48. I love this part, this chapter of the Bible and this verse. Uh, they're, They're with Jesus, and it says they're hanging on to His every word. Oh, that we would just be a people that hang on to the every word of Jesus. And for what purpose, verse 17, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Sacred writings, Timothy's learned them. Salvation in Christ, he's a follower of Christ. The scripture he's told by Paul is God-breathed. This is from God himself. It's profitable so we can be taught that we can be rebuked when we need to be rebuked for our failures and sin. We're corrected. We're we're set right from those. We're trained to live in the righteousness in which Christ has made us. And the reason for this is so that the man of God, the woman of God, would be adequate, equipped for every good work. James says in chapter 1, verse 22, but prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. Jesus said in Matthew 28, teach them, but teach them to observe all that I commanded you. Teach them to obey all that I commanded you. We don't just come here to read for information. It is to obey what we're taught. So we might be equipped. That word equipped means that we're fit. It would be like yesterday uh, when Texas A&M beat Arkansas uh, and all those guys, they were well equipped for that game. I, I realize I'm in Austin, uh, but I had two sons that went to Texas A&M and, and UT was well equipped yesterday as well uh, and beat K-State. I, I saw that. Uh, but, but equipped, ready, so you can handle whatever comes our way. Uh, and in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has prepared a path of good works for us to walk in. Uh, 
and we'll be adequate and prepared for those as we walk underneath the power and authority of God's word. That's how we'll be well equipped for it. I've on purpose given you a load of scripture because you could strip anything else I've said in the last few minutes and the thing that has any power today is what we've read, what we've listened to, what I've quoted, what we think on, and what we study. That's where the power lies, is in God's word. So I texted Isaac on the next day, and I was in about a two-hour text exchange with him. And I've saved it because this is the best text exchange I've ever had with someone that I can think of. And I actually learned the other day, I hung out with some, at a football game with some Southlake uh, cheerleaders, and I learned how all the social media works. Facebook is if you want your parents or grandparents to see it. Twitter is for fun. Snapchat is how you invite someone to go do something. Instagram is where you record what you actually went and did. Texting is when you're actually serious about a conversation. So I knew this was serious because we were texting. We weren't Snapchatting. We weren't doing Instagram. We weren't laughing on Twitter. Uh, and I sent this to Isaac. I said, hey, Isaac, I really enjoyed the time with you. I'm praying for you. Uh, and then I said, are there any thoughts on what I shared with you about how to know Jesus? <clears throat> and he said he had read Luke chapter 1. He was going to do chapter 2 uh, that day. And then he also got his family and his brothers to join in with him. And then when I said, he said, uh, <clears throat> what do I have to do to accept? Does it have to be public or what? Because, Ross, I'm in. I want this. I said, man, that is awesome. And I was debating, do I pick up the phone and do it like uh, an older adult does it and like talk on the phone? And I thought, no, I'm just going to ride this out in a text exchange with him and, and get into his world. Uh, and then he said, when can I get baptized? Well, I wasn't even sure he was totally in yet. And then I said, so are you in? He said, yes, sir, I'm in, with an exclamation point. I said, love it. You can get baptized on September 23rd. He said, yes, sir. I want to surprise my family with it, though. Is that okay? I said, well, you're a new creation now, an adopted child of God. The angels are partying over your salvation. And I said, you, you want to keep the baptism a surprise? Uh, and then he said, no, I haven't told them yet. Should I tell them now about me accepting Jesus Christ as my Savior? I said, yes, tell them now. So he goes and tells them. And he said, Ross, I told them. And he puts like four exclamation points after it. I gave him a thumbs up. I said, what did they say? They're very happy, Ross. They prayed for me. I was the last son in the house to accept him. They're thrilled. I said, I'm so fired up. Now we talk about baptism. He said, sounds awesome. He said, just FYI, our group that's reading Luke from beginning to end with me now includes my cousins as well. There's 10 of us that are reading Luke. I said, well, how's it going in Luke? He said, well, I'm in chapter 14. I'm going to do this after Jordan's life group. He started going to a life group. He was asking me, what do I do next? Uh, and asked me how life group was. He said, it was fantastic. Jordan was super welcoming. It was nice to just sit with a group of people and pray. This is a guy who knows. I, I just want to say this because you might not know much about the Bible and think, that would be intimidating going to a community group because everybody there knows the Bible. They, they may not. Matter of fact, probably they know less than you might think. 
And even if they know it all, it's okay. It's a safe place. Uh, and he was comfortable going to this group and, and spending this time. Uh, and then he said, man, I'm getting super amped up. And then he asked me who could baptize people. And then we baptized him. I think I sent the, the picture. Did that, did that, we see that? So that was last week. That's Isaac in the middle with his dad, Oscar. Uh, and they walked in the doors a few weeks ago. Now he told me they're not. I'm on, I'm on Luke chapter 21. I'm going to a life group. I want to go to another life group. I've been keeping track of it. So he's read the first seven chapters of Genesis uh, to be in that group. Uh, and then he, Friday night he said, I just finished Luke. I said, hey, let's get going in Acts so you can see kind of how the early church rolls. And he did. That's the power of God and God's word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for uh, our time uh, to be able to worship you. And God, I, uh, I'm so grateful uh, for uh, Austin life and just love this church, love the beginnings. Uh, and what a cool thing for so many people to be uh, a part of something in, uh, in its beginnings. Uh, and God, I pray uh, that every person would be absolutely uh, stunned and amazed by your grace and by your love, by what you did for them on the cross. And Father, I pray that those who are exploring, trying to figure out, would you, just like you did with Isaac, uh, will you draw them in that they'll just say yes to Jesus and enter a relationship with you? Father, I pray wherever people are in your word, God, I pray that, um, that those take another step in being in it, whether that's just getting on some way to read it consistently or to hear it consistently or uh, to be encouraged to memorize it and hide it so they can meditate and think on it, to, to learn in a discipleship group or community group how to study it. And God, I pray that it'll just breathe life uh, into every person. And then Lord, that we'll pass on what you give us so it'll breathe life into those around us and, and so we thank you for that today I'm just going to ask you and just have a little bit of space here a quiet before the Lord and um, and just is there anything that through uh, the songs that we sang earlier or through the scripture we've talked about that that maybe God is saying to you hey uh, this is how I want you to be obedient to me next uh, and then let us be a time to seal that and then walk in it uh, it's just, just to be a good space for you and God. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.